These are the daily lectionary comments for July 21st. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, the capture of the ark by the Philistines, and Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 23. Continue the second missionary journey. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Um, the, the text begins kind of interestingly. Verse 1 says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. It's actually a very positive statement. Uh, remember that the beginning of the previous chapter, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, but now God is appearing to Samuel, and now we hear that the word of Samuel came to all Israel. It's a little bit ironic because although we hear about the word of the Lord going to all Israel through Samuel, and Samuel has really been built up here, um, there is nothing in, in this, this episode with the Philistines and the capture of the ark that suggests that the people of God ever went to Samuel and inquired with him or that Samuel ever said anything about taking the ark as they did to the front lines. In fact, uh, the commanders and the people of Israel seem to have been acting very presumptuously. That's what we're to understand by everything that happened here. And so it's a bit ironic that it starts out with this statement about how the word of the Lord is now being restored to the people through Samuel. But this episode does shows that they're apparently not listening to it just quite yet. All right, so that's first thing. Next, you will note that the, sort of the centerpiece of of today's devotion and also tomorrow's devotion, but particularly we're going to look at today, is this Ark of the Covenant. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the camp after the initial defeat in the battle in a battle with the Philistines. The people, the Israelites, believed that this Ark was going to make a real difference because God was there. Uh, even the Philistines were were frightened by it, and yet didn't make any difference. Uh, they lost the second battle. Not only that. But after they lost the second battle with the Philistines, the, the ark was captured. Um, the ark being captured is clearly an enormous blow to the Israelites. Um, we see that Eli, as he was waiting for news of the battle, um, we see that he, he was his heart was trembling over the ark. Not what would happen to his sons. His sons would be killed, but it was, it was, he was worried about the ark. And in fact, when he gets the news that his sons were killed and the ark was captured, it was news of the ark being captured that caused Eli to fall over dead. And then uh, the, the, final, uh, the final verse here in verse 22, uh, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So the ark is the centerpiece of this. And then it, it it bears a little attention here that what what it is that we're talking about. Imagine for a moment that somehow or another, um, the the sacrament, the sacrament of the Lord's body and blood was captured, and and it was forbidden to us, so that the people of God could continue to gather in church, but we would no longer be able to participate and partake in the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what would we be missing then? We could still hear sermons. We could still talk about God, but there would be something very tangible about the presence of God that would be absent from our worship. Now, I have to acknowledge that uh, for some people listening to this, you know, they may not really understand what that means. 
um, Lutheran and Catholic theology really sees the presence of Christ's body and blood as an essential element of Christian worship and a powerful aspect of Christian piety. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't really see it that way. Um, their focus is more on the words and they see, you know, the sacrament is really, they won't even call it a sacrament. They'll see it just as, as an illustration or, or, you know, sort of symbolic of, of Jesus' death and resurrection. So for them, this illustration that I'm giving really wouldn't be very effective. But for those of us who really appreciate the tangible nature and the concrete nature of having Christ's body and blood present in the worship service, the ark is somewhat like that. And, and it's, it represents, or no, no, we'll use the word represent, it, it is the presence of God in a very special way. That's what the ark does. That's when the ark is in the tabernacle because God is present in the tabernacle. There it says enthroned above the cherubim. There's something about God which is maybe the first thing we think about God when we think when we talk about God, what it's like to be a God, you know, we think of God's transcendence, of him being everywhere all at once, being in the ancient past and in the distant future and everywhere in all the universe all at the same time. When we talk about God that way, we're talking about a transcendent God. But it turns out that God is not only transcendent, but he is a God that draws near. And when he draws near to people, that means that he makes himself sort of present um, in, in a place at a time where, where not only does he draw near to you, but you may draw near to him. And this is sort of the, the basis of the whole idea of holiness. Holiness happens when God draws near to a place because we say that God is there in a way that he is not in other places. Yes, the transcendent God is everywhere all at once. But the transcendent God can also draw near and become at a particular place. And when that happens, we say that that place is holy and the people who approach God there must observe and recognize that holiness. So the ark is, is, shows us that God is drawn near and is present with his people in a different way than just the all-powerful God who sustains all things is present everywhere. So the capture of the ark represents the loss to Israel of something very, very profound. And it foreshadows a later day when the ark would not be captured, actually. The temple would be burned to the ground and the ark would be destroyed. And the people of God would have to deal with what that means. But anyway, this is very, very powerful theologically what is happening to these people, they, that, that they are losing this very important tangible aspect of their life with God. It would appear that the tabernacle at Shiloh was probably destroyed at this time. If it wasn't destroyed at this time, it was destroyed not long after this. At any rate, tomorrow we'll see that the tabernacle, the ark will be returned, but it will not be returned to Shiloh. It will go elsewhere. So anyway, uh, that's enough for 1 Samuel chapter 4 until tomorrow. Okay, Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 23. Very quickly, I want to return to yesterday's devotion where Paul exercised demons from a certain slave girl. And because of that, her owners uh, lost money and income that they were able to make from her. She made various predictions and so forth like that. And that resulted in a riot in the community and that resulted in Paul and Silas being arrested in jail. So that's what sets us up for today's devotion. They're in jail. And and uh, it says that they were beaten, which is very significant. 
um, Roman, Roman citizens, and Paul was a Roman citizen, uh, were not permitted to be beaten like this uh, unless and until they had been tried and convicted. Ordinary Jews could be beaten by the Romans, ordinary, but not a Roman citizen. And it turns out that Paul is an actual Roman citizen as well as a Jew. So the fact that he was beaten is important, and that will come out in just a minute. Anyway, they were in jail. It says at midnight they were singing uh, hymns and praying, and uh, the other prisoners were listening to them, and there was an earthquake. This is a little bit reminiscent of Peter being released from jail. Remember when he was arrested after James uh, was killed, Herod arrested him, put him in jail, and the angel let him out. Similar thing is happening here. Um, the jailer, when he sees that uh, the, the uh, you know, prison doors are open and he assumes that everybody has escaped, says he was about to kill himself. This would have been a standard practice. If you're a Roman jailer and your prisoners escape, you pay with your life. And so that's what he was expecting to do. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped, but they hadn't. And Paul says, don't touch yourself. Don't, don't do that. Uh, we're, we're, we're all still here. And this became an opportunity, not only the prayers and the songs, but also the fact that Paul and Silas were still there and this jailer gets converted. He says, what shall I do to be saved? What can I do? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, in Acts chapter 2, it says, believe, uh, uh, repent, and be baptized. But here it says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and right away they are baptized. So the believing takes with it uh, the, the, the idea of repentance as well. But notice, repentance, faith, and baptism go together. This is how a person enters the kingdom of God. Okay, so this is wonderful news for the, the jailer. And then they get the, the, the magistrates of the town send word to have uh, uh, Silas and Paul released the next morning, uh, just released without any fanfare. And uh, you may find it surprising that Paul, when he gets word of this, refuses to leave and is very upset and demands that these magistrates come and give them an apology and lead them personally out to the, uh, to the edge of the city. Because, and, and, and why he should expect that they will do this uh, and how he got their attention is he told them that he was a Roman citizen and that did indeed get their attention. They realized what they'd done was quite illegal. They could get in a lot of trouble for this. So Paul is acting in a way not to vindicate his own personal uh, sense of of um, uh, grievance because he was beaten. But it's not him that's being beaten that's important. It's the gospel that has been abused, which is important. And Paul insists that these magistrates come and personally lead us out so that the people of the town would not get the impression that these Christians were riffraff and understand that, in fact, this is a Roman citizen and they have been mistreated here. And so that's that surprising little thing where Paul uses the, the legal fact of his being a Roman citizen uh, to the advantage of the gospel. It will not be the last time Paul will do that.